0: What a great time of worship together. I am so glad that you guys are here and it is, uh, it is truly great to see you this morning. Now I want to begin today by revealing the primary point of it all. I'm going to share the big idea. I'm going to share the central theme. I'm going to share the main point, the thing that if you hear it, if you grasp it, And if you put it into practice in your own life through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be closer to Jesus today than you were on Friday. You guys ready for it? That didn't sound like you're ready for it. Like, yeah, maybe. You guys ready for it? You're going to have to wait a minute. Um, I want you to know that I am taking a risk by doing this because what they teach you in seminaries is to never tell everything right up front. You don't just lay it out there in the introduction of your message. You don't kind of start with the big idea or the central theme first. It's not what you do. There are many different models to writing a sermon, many different styles of sermons but none of them that I can think of kind of encourage you to just sort of lay it all on the table in the first 30 seconds. But I'm past the 30-second mark, so we're going to break all the rules right here, right now, at the beginning of the message. Let me ask you again, are you guys ready? All right, well, the big idea, the central theme, the main point of what we're digging into today is just one word humility. Humility is essential for anyone to truly enjoy Jesus. To truly know Him, to truly experience Him, to truly commune with Him, humility is absolutely essential. Now, I've told you everything you need to know today, so let's pray wrap up. Now what we're going to do is we are going to pray because there's a whole lot more for us to unpack and we need the spirits leading to guide us into that truth. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word that we are about to open today. God, we thank you for the life of Jesus that we have been able to journey with through Luke's gospel to see how you interact over meals today's meal is a little bit different today's environment that we're reading is is tricky in many ways but it wasn't tricky for Jesus and so God would you give us the kind of clarity the kind of calmness the kind of inner peace that we see from our Savior today But God, I acknowledge that that's hard because there's a lot going on in our world. There is war, there is strife, there is pain. Certainly with our friends on the other side of the world, but also right here in this room, there's pain. And so God, through the power of your spirit, would you minister to that pain over the course of these next few moments, not by my words, but by the word God that you give to us. So God, give us eyes to see this word clearly today. God, we ask for ears to hear this word clearly, and we ask for humble hearts that would be able to experience and live out this word in the week ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, church family, we are continuing our soul food series, and as you know, we have been kind of working through these key segments of Luke's gospel, and the common thread that we've been seeing in these stories is Jesus and participation in a meal. Now, in those meals, why we're looking at those is because something profound typically happens. Something incredibly significant typically happens in those moments. So today is no different. We're going to be looking at a story where Jesus engages with some people who are more than a little judgmental and they have attitudes against Him. So let's grab our Bibles and look to a familiar passage. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14. Luke Chapter 14. We're going to be looking at the first two segments of this text. Luke chapter 14. You will find that on page 873 in your ESV Bible, or you can, of course, read along behind me. Here's what Luke writes One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. with shame, to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Before we dig into the first portion of our text a little more closely, I want to revisit the main point of today's message. What is it again? Humility. Humility Humility is essential to our relationship, to having this vibrant relationship with Jesus. We're going to unpack the importance of humility in the second point we're going to get to today. But the first point we're going to look at is the exact opposite, because that is also true. If humility is essential to our relationship with Jesus, then pride is detrimental to our relationship with Jesus. Both are true, and that's exactly what we see unfolding in this particular text. So let's dig in, look at the first six verses together. It says, one Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine, at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Hey, that's a fun experience, isn't it? You guys like that? You're kind of, you're on when you sit down and people are looking at you and checking you out, making sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's what's going on here. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or is it not? Jesus, in the midst of this kind of angst coming his direction, asks them a question. He leans in. Verse 4 says, but they remained silent. And then he took him and he healed him. The man with dropsy, he healed him and then he sent him away. (laughs) Which of you, Jesus says, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? He follows up with yet another question. So let's revisit this again. The context is a dinner party, but it is not just any dinner party. The guest list includes important people like religious leaders and Leaders of a different type of legal scenario, those, those folks called lawyers. This is an important group, and this is an important aspect of the story, because as we dig in a little deeper, what we need to see is that these people, these experts in the law, are setting a trap for Jesus. They're inviting him into this sort of scenario where they're trying to trip him up. And what's so fascinating is that Jesus remains calm. One commentator said, his approach is serene. I love that. So let's consider Jesus' situation in the face of this kind of scrutiny As culturally inappropriate as this might seem, this type of dinner party, we have to recognize, was not a place for the physically ill. That's why we can say it was a trap, because typically, physically ill people were not invited to this type of dinner party. So what is dropsy exactly? That's the condition this man has, and as you dig into it, we don't use that term anymore, but it is typically meaning about something of a swelling of a tissue, or it could be called edema today. So that's what this man has, and he's here at the dinner party, which is unexpected, And as the Pharisees are expecting Jesus to heal the man on the Sabbath, they they sort of expect him to do that. Jesus leads out. He leans in with a question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or is it not? He knows what they're thinking. He can feel it coming back against him. Remember those eyes that I talked about when you sit down and there are people watching you? He feels that in this moment. And so he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? What we have to remember is that Jesus has already violated this law on three occasions. Luke's covered it three times in his gospel. In Luke 4, Jesus has cast out a demon at the synagogue on the Sabbath. In Luke 6, he healed the man with a deformed hand on the Sabbath. And then in Luke 13, he healed a woman who had been bent over for 18 years, and he did so on the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees knew this and they understood this, that what Jesus would typically do was he would put his love and his grace into practice on the Sabbath. He regularly did that, but that did not fit into their framework, That did not fit into their religious, legal framework. So, Jesus asks a brilliant question. Is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, or is it not? I call it a brilliant question because it puts the Pharisees in this sort of difficult position, He knows they're trying to trip him up, and so he wants to kind of have them wrestle with something. See, if they say, yes, it's fine to heal on the Sabbath, well, then they are going against their all-important religious laws. So that's one side of the equation. But if they said, no, you cannot heal on the Sabbath, what does that endear with people? Wow, the religious leaders are uncaring They don't love people well. They're unloving and uncaring, and nobody wants to be kind of put in that category, do we? But if you dig a little deeper, if we dig a little deeper here, what's really at stake is religious practice and religious authority. Another term for that could be legalism. That's what's at play here. And this is a full faith that cares more about practices than it does people. That's legalism. When you care more about practices than people. Legalism also looks like looking good. That takes priority over actually deeply loving God. Man, I look good. I look religious. I look like I'm doing all of the right things. That's legalism. And what we see at the heart of the Pharisees and what we find at the root of legalism as we continue to dig deeper, what we find at the heart of legalism is pride. Pride. And pride in its ugliest form has no room for genuine love for God or love for neighbor because pride is centered on love for self, love for me. I'm too concerned about how I look. I'm too concerned about what you guys think of me. It's this outward action that pays no mind to what's going on in the heart. Let's look back at the next question that Jesus asks. Skip down to verses 5 and 6. He says, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? So they didn't give him an answer to the first question. Jesus goes in again and asks the second question. And essentially, Jesus acknowledging, we would all do that. If you had a son, or if you had an ox, which was very important to your family's well-being, if that fell in a hole, you would get it out. He knows that. And what Jesus is trying to bring to light, whether it is an animal or whether it is a son or a daughter, we would all rush in to save someone that we cared about or something that we cared about on the Sabbath. But again, the Pharisees are silent. And in this silence we can see their prideful hypocrisy those two questions have really just pierced to the heart of the Pharisees and pointed out their prideful hypocrisy. And pride is the opposite of today's main point. So let's consider it. Pride keeps us from enjoying Jesus. Pride is detrimental to our following Jesus. Now, I don't think anybody who came in here today would say, you know what, Pastor? I think, I think pride is kind of a good thing. Most of us, if we're honest, probably kind of push away from people who are overly prideful. Most of us would acknowledge that statement that pride does, in fact, keep us from. Growing in the grace and the mercy of God. Pride in our own lives, whether it is expressed in legalism or hypocrisy or something else, separates us from truly enjoying all that Jesus is and all that He has for us. Pride gets right in the way. How does it do that? It puts too much emphasis on the self. It elevates us. We are so focused on our works, on our achievements, on our religious activities that we miss Jesus entirely. I am doing good things. Watch me do religious things. I'm impressive. What's missing? Jesus is missing. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, really, you get so busy doing good things in Jesus' name that you actually miss him. I want to take you sort of behind the curtain of our church staff for just a moment. In this season, we have been walking through some things together, and in the midst of walking through these things together, we have been emphasizing the practice of Sabbath. Now you might say, well, wait a second. You talked about legalism. Why are you emphasizing Sabbath? Well, we are emphasizing Sabbath because it's quite the opposite, actually. When we actually practice a Sabbath, what we are doing... As we are moving away from our works. You see, one of the uniquenesses about being a professional Christian is that we're working on Sundays. It's our work day. It's our game day. It's our big day. We're on for you and for your family. And every single person on our staff loves that privilege. We love that. But we're still working. So what that means is that we have to get to a point where we put our personal doing and effort on the side. And what we're trying to do is striving to practice a consistent rhythm of moving away from the pride of doing good things for our church and doing good things for Jesus and doing good things for you to rest in Jesus to carve out intentional time every week where we rest in Him. Now, I tell you that because I would encourage you to do the same. This isn't a sermon about Sabbath, but what it is is about a sermon about pride. And so often, our good works can lead directly to a place of pride. So let me ask you the question. What is an area of spiritual pride in your life? We've just looked at a couple, and maybe some of us from our church background, or maybe from us just coming to faith later in life, have developed one of these. So let me highlight them again. Is it legalism, where you'd say, I'm a rule following person, and I put pride in my works? Church, let me encourage you. Put pride in the finished work of Christ. That removes legalism. Perhaps your struggle is hypocrisy. You'd say, man, when I go to work, I am a different person than when I am when I come here on a Sunday. My life looks a whole lot different. That's rooted in self-preservation and pride. Or perhaps it's something else entirely I don't know what it is for you, but I do want to encourage you that whatever expression pride plays in your life, whatever it is that you wrestle with on a Monday and a Tuesday and on a Wednesday during the rest of your week, may I encourage you to surrender it to God. Bring it to Him. Leave it with Him. And repent. When you do that, you experience the peace of God and the love of God and the grace of God in new and fresh ways as his children. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, let's continue on in our story. Let's pick it up at verse 7. We're going to transition to a parable that Jesus tells. And this parable will teach us not about pride but about the importance of humility. So let's go there. Luke uh, chapter 14, verse seven. It says, "And they, the Pharisees could not reply to these things to those questions they had no answer. So he told them a parable to those who were invited, and when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, "When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, so he's at a feast, and he's kind of taking their attention to another feast. When you're invited, do not sit down in a place of honor." Don't go to the front of the class, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by the host of the the dinner party. And he who invited you will come and say to you, give your place to this person. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? That's why it says, and then you will begin with shame, and then you will be moved to take the lower place. But when you are invited, Jesus says, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Exalted. Jesus has just given the Pharisees and all who read this story a lesson in what not to do at a dinner party. Don't go to the head table. Don't just march in there and say, hey, I'm here. I'm sitting right here at your table. I'm I'm the man. Yeah, don't do that. Don't sit in the most important seat. Don't be the person of honor. Instead, sit in the lower place Let someone else have the most honorable seat. Jesus explains, he says, you will be honored in the presence of all who sit with you when you do. Church, this isn't just a push against first century culture, and let me tell you, it was that. This overturned this kind of cultural norm completely because in this time period this was this was almost scandalous because rulers ate with rulers not with commoners and the religious leaders they like to have that seat of authority that position of importance but Jesus loves something else he loves a heart of humility And this is why humility allows you and me to truly enjoy Jesus. To truly enjoy our Lord. Friends, this is the beauty of what's wrapped up in the gospel. If you are humble in your dress, Jesus says, come. If you are humble in your resources, Jesus says, come. Come to me if you are humble in your accomplishments, Jesus says, come. I love that. I love that about our Lord because Jesus can tell us this because he modeled it himself. He modeled humility. He humbled himself by coming to our world as Emmanuel, as God with us. He humbled himself by living a spotless life among pagans, Jesus humbled himself by willingly sparing that life on a cross to pay the penalty that you and I could not pay. And Jesus humbled himself by going one step further and by giving you and me, sinners, his amazing grace. His amazing grace. What God asks of us is to humble ourselves to reflect upon our lives to examine our hearts and see our sinful need of a savior then to repent of that sin to lay it before him to turn the other way and trust in Jesus in faith that's what God does with the humble Because his entire kingdom is rooted. It has its foundation in humility. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul exhorts believers on this issue of humility. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up at verse 3. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. How is it? How do you have it in Christ Jesus? who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. There's that word again. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, <laughs> God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I highlight that because it helps us see the importance of humility. The importance of humility because the Christian faith is founded, is rooted upon humility from beginning to end. I love the way a 19th century pastor and theologian by the name of J.C. Ryle explains this significant reality of humility. Here's what he writes. He says the person who really knows himself and the person who really knows his own heart who knows God and his infinite majesty and holiness, who knows Christ and the price at which he is redeemed, that person will never be a proud person. I want to close this morning with a story. Many years ago, I was just getting started in vocational ministry, and I worked for an organization known as Our Daily Bread. Many of you are familiar with that devotional, had the privilege of working there, and uh, I worked in the editorial department. And each year, uh, when it came Christmas time, we would have uh, a team Christmas party. And so it wasn't the full Our Daily Bread organization, but it was just the, the publishing wing. And so it was staffers and their spouses and we would get all dressed up and we would enjoy a meal together and then there would be that sort of weird uncomfortable time of white elephant gifts and all that stuff but you would do it every year you'd have fun you'd play along and I was a young guy in my 20s So I'm enjoying this experience. I've not kind of had this thing before. It was pretty cool. And we're eating and I can can see that kind of this is wrapping up and we're going to move into the other room for the gift exchange. And that's when it happened. I saw today's big idea in practice. As the group was moving into the other room, I could see the president of this international ministry. He had already gone into the room. There were couches and chairs all around the room, and the president of the organization was seated on the floor. He'd already taken an assessment of how many chairs there were in the eating space and how many chairs there were in the living room space, and there were not enough. And so the president was the first one in there. He quietly moved into place, sat down on the floor at the feet of his coworkers. Church, that was 25 years ago. And what he did was he put Jesus' words into action. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Church, the president of our daily bread isn't some spiritual hero. He is simply a man on a faith journey just like you and like me but he modeled the freedom that we can all have when we live in humility. So may you and I, may we grab a hold of the power and the freedom and the life that comes with humility. Because humility is essential for us to enjoy Jesus. Amen.